Awesome. Merry Christmas. All right. So I'll keep it, you know, 20 minute message at, at the longest so we can go and be with family. And even though this feels like family, it's it's wonderful. All right. Um, so this is my Christmas message. I guess this is probably my first Christmas message. Yeah. How many Christmas messages have been spoken in this world? <laughs> billions, probably billions. So we could spend a whole lot of time just talking about how he came to bring peace on earth. We could talk about how he came for the poor, the hurting, those who are poor in spirit, who recognize they need God. We could talk about him coming for the broken. All of these are beautiful things, but it's not what I'm going to talk about today. But they're all beautiful and amazing. We could talk about the prophecies about Jesus coming and how those all unrolled would be a beautiful thing to look at as well. But it's hard not to talk about the cross when we talk about Christmas because that was his whole purpose in coming to earth. The, the, the incarnation is an amazing miracle, but the cross is the center point of history. So it's hard not to talk about the cross when we talk about Christmas, but I'm going to try not to uh, just for today. Instead, I want to celebrate today and just look at Jesus's humanity. The mystery that we'll never be able to comprehend. It's like the Trinity. We can, we can slowly start to grasp it. You know, I did a four-part series on that where I just laid out how the Bible explains the Trinity and what is it and just trying to grasp it and, and worship God for who he is. There's one God in three persons. So that's a mystery. That's a, a miracle in and of itself, an amazing thing. And yet, how is it that being fully God he became fully man at the same time. It's, I don't understand it. I can't comprehend it. So some of today, we'll look at a couple verses, but I just want to just talk about this mystery and celebrate it. The, the miracle of God becoming fully God and fully man. He didn't, he didn't ever stop being God. He didn't leave his, leave his divinity. He remains the uncreated one, and yet he chose for a time to lay aside his divine prerogative, to lay aside his divine powers and be fully dependent on the Father, the first person of the Trinity. So he remained God, but he chose to humble himself and lay aside his divine um, foreknowledge, his divine powers. He chose to lay them aside and be completely dependent on the Father, but he remained the uh, the uncreated one. And so it's a miracle. We can't understand it. John 1, 1 through 4 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we see here that Jesus is the Word, and He was with God, so that they're each distinct, and yet He was God, because the three are one God. And so we see this, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, was not anything made that was made. So Jesus, the word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father, he created all things. And then it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we see that he remains the son from the Father, and yet he became flesh, it says. Another one when it says he dwelt among us, that word dwelt is, is the word for tabernacled. So just like 
God in the Old Covenant had a tabernacle where his presence would be, it was saying when, when God came down and incarnated into flesh, he was tabernacling in that flesh. So he remained God, but he took on a tabernacle. He took on a body of flesh. It's a mystery. We'll never understand it. And I love that. Luke 1, 30 through 35, and then 37. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you'll bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. So you see that she is going to bear a son, and yet this son will be called the Son of the Most High. So he remains fully God, and yet becomes fully man through her egg, through her egg. Was there seed? I I don't think so. It's just a miracle. It's just a miracle. It doesn't make any sense. We'll never be able to comprehend it. And we know then Mary said, oh, uh, no, continue there. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God, for nothing is impossible with God. That's answering the question because in our brain, we just say, this is impossible. How can he remain fully God and become fully man at the same time? And this is why the angel pointed out, he's going to be born of you but he will be called the Son of God. And nothing is impossible with God. Had to emphasize it for her because this is an impossible thing happening. And we know the the mystery of why God chose to do it this way so that he could live out as a man and relate to us in every way and take our place as a man to redeem mankind. Just as Adam brought all mankind into failure and brought all mankind into sin, He needed a man to bring back redemption for us. Already went over that. So he, if he had just become man, he would have been a sinner. Instead, he retained his divine perfection. So he laid aside divine foreknowledge. He laid aside divine powers. Remember, he had to be filled with the Holy Spirit so he could operate in power because he laid aside those things in and of himself was fully dependent on God, but he remained divinely perfect and divinely holy. Hebrews 4.15, I love this scripture. It says, for we do not have a high priest, talking of Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. There's this mystery of God that he wants to relate to us. There's this fascinating account of Abraham taking up Isaac to sacrifice him, right? I didn't put it in there, but, but it says when, when God stopped him, when the angel of the Lord stopped him and said, stop, don't do it, he said, I knew that you loved me or something like that. I knew you were faithful, but he said, now I've seen it. Now I know. And so people have theorized, we know God knew the end from the beginning, We know he knows all things. Then why did he say, now I know? Because it's as if he came into time and experienced it firsthand. Because he can be a part of our experiences. Much like in our lives, you can see someone going through something very painful. 
And you can try to understand, right? You can try to grasp what they're going through, but you can't quite. But then what happens when you go through something almost the exact same? It's like, now I know. Now I grasp it. Now I truly get it. I, I had a head knowledge of it before. Now, God is God. He can know all things, and yet he has chosen to step into time and to know us even more so that he can sympathize with us. He can relate to us in every respect, in every way. He can know what we're going through. And this gives peace to us. This gives peace to us that that he's just not a God who remained in heaven and never had to, to taste hurt or pain. He tasted all of it firsthand. And this gives peace to us that we know whatever we're going through, he's been through it too. So here's the question, just part of the mystery. Did Jesus sin as a child? And we would say, no, of course not, because he was sinless. We know he he was tempted in every way, yet without sin, right? But then, is it sin for a two-year-old to say no? I'm just asking, is that a sin? When a two-year-old hears you say no, and they say no back about something, is that a sin? My answer, I have no idea. And that's why I love contemplating these things, because it's the mystery. We know he was without sin. And yet, most of us would say, we don't believe that is a sin, that, that kids can disobey without even sinning, because they, they don't comprehend, they don't understand, but they come to a certain age, like, like Enoch at seven years old, he comprehends when something's wrong, and he will no longer do it. And if he did do it, it is a sin, because he comprehends that it's wrong. And so I just, I just love to contemplate these things. Like, was there times they were like, you know, Jesus, don't touch that thing, and he touched it anyways. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. We just don't know. The, the Bible remains silent on it, unless we chalk up that when a one-year-old starts babbling and can say no, that he's sinning. I don't think so. But I don't know how it all worked. You know, there's the beautiful sentiment of no crying he makes. Hi, Stephanie. Huh. There's the beautiful sentiment of away in a manger and no, no crying he makes. I'm like, I'm sure Jesus cried. He was a baby. He was fully man. Here the mystery gets deeper. I'm just asking questions because I just find this stuff fascinating. The mystery gets deeper. If he laid aside his divine foreknowledge that even when he was an adult, he said he didn't know certain things and only the father knew. Now we know he knows those things now, but he had laid aside that divine foreknowledge when he was in the womb, did he know he was in the womb? Or was he not simply fully man and fully God? He didn't, he didn't, he's not the, un, er, he's, he's not uh, a created one now. As, as man, he incarnated as man, but he, he still remains the uncreated one. But did he know he was in the womb? Because often we hear the beautiful sentiments and songs like, when you first opened your eyes, did you know you were the Savior? The answer, no idea. I don't know. I don't know how it all worked. We know he knew what he was stepping into. We know that the the Father, Son, and Spirit knew it from, from the beginning of our time. They had no beginning, but from the beginning of our time, this was already planned. They already knew all this, so he knew what he was stepping into. I personally think as soon as he came into the womb, he was just in the womb. Just like we would be in the womb. You don't have any knowledge of it. You don't have any conscience. And this, this boggles our mind. It's a mystery that we can't comprehend. Because 
Jesus, the creator of all things, who knows all things, chose to humble himself to a ridiculous amount of humbling, where it's just like, I'm a baby. He, he brought himself to complete dependence. Anybody ever thought about these things? It's fascinating. So, so then as he grew, was there a certain time when he was two or three or something where the father spoke to him and revealed who he was and then all the memories came back? Like, oh yeah, of course, we planned this out. How do you comprehend that as a two or three-year-old? This is why we know it's a miracle. He remained fully God and yet was fully man. It's amazing to contemplate and to look at. Uh, sorry, I'm just going on about all the stuff I've already... So we, we can't comprehend it because all children that we've ever seen are born into a sin nature. All of them. They're all born into a sin nature. But did that mean that Jesus never said no? Or never, never did any disobedience of any kind? I don't know. We know when he was 12 years old, he didn't disobey a direct command, but they left him in the city and he stayed for three days teaching and, and, and listening and learning from, from the teachers of the law and teaching them things. And they came back and they rebuked him. And, it said, and he says, didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? But then it says right after that, he went with them and was submissive to them. What is this mystery? I don't know. I don't comprehend how it all works. And that's a beautiful thing. And so, one day we'll be like him, Paul says. But we're only going to be like him in the sense that he's going to remove our sin nature and we can be holy with him. But that does not mean we'll be like him in every way. He will always remain the uncreated one and we will always be the created ones. He will always be the author of all things, and we will always be the receiver of all those beautiful things. So we can't become like him in every way. It's not possible, because he will remain that. And so as he came into time, he remained the uncreated one. He remained fully submitted to the Father, while we choose to deviate at times. already went through this, just about how he can relate to us in every way. Um, so, you know, sometimes we get that feeling like we're alone. We get that feeling like no one understands me, or you don't know what I'm going through. He took on flesh. He took on sorrows. Says he was well, well accustomed to sorrows. He knew sorrow. He knew pain. He took on rejection. He took on need. That he, he needed. Think about this. The all-sufficient one who's in need of nothing came into a position where he needed. Where he needed. From, from mankind that he was going to redeem, he needed help. It's, it's unbelievable that he did this. It's impossible. He came into dependence. He came into uncertainty at times. He stepped into our punishment of sins. So that phrase on a Christian mouth should have no meaning of no one understands me. He understands in every single way. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
This is impossible. It's another miracle. He who knew sin became sin on our behalf. I believe when he was sweating in the, in the garden, it wasn't over death. I, I, just, I personally believe this. We can just look at the text and it doesn't really tell us what the great anguish is. But he says, remove this cup from me. And if you look throughout scripture, often a cup is uh, um, tied in with God's wrath. I'll pour out a cup of my wrath on the people. It's tied in with that many times. It's tied in with other things as well. But it's tied in with that. Could that be what he was grieving over? That he realized he was going to become sin for us and the wrath of God was going to be poured out on him. Can you imagine the wrath of God that is deserved for the entire earth being poured out on one person at one time? We can't comprehend it. He who knew no sin taking our place. This all ties back into Christmas, the beginning of him choosing to take that step into not uncertainty, they knew the plan, but to, to feel uncertain at times, to take on human emotions, to understand us in every way, knowing what the end result would be. So that we might become the righteousness of God. He did that so that we could take on his righteousness, something that was, it's, it's two impossibilities. It's saying the absolutely perfect one becoming sin, impossible, but he did it. And absolutely sinful people becoming righteousness, impossible, but he did it. He did it. It's the mystery of heaven. It's the mystery of God. We'll never fully comprehend how he is able to do what he does, except that he's God. I mean, we have the, the first miracle. The, the greatest miracle in the Bible, some people say, it, it's the cross. It is a great miracle. The greatest miracle is the opening line. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There, there, it's impossible. Nothing was there, and he created it. It's impossible. Our brains can't comprehend it. If that miracle is possible, then every other miracle is possible, because he created everything out of nothing. Maybe out of himself. So let's finish with this verse. Luke 2, 25 through 35. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. So imagine this, this old man, when did he receive that prophecy? When did he receive by the Holy Spirit? You're going to see the Lord's Christ. How many years has he been waiting? We don't know. But he's been waiting faithfully, waiting that he's going to see the Lord's Christ. And he came in, in the spirit into the temple. What does that mean? The spirit was on him. I don't know. He was guided by the spirit. Maybe this was his time to be ministering there anyways, and he was simply in the Spirit of God. God was resting on him. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms. And blessed God and said, Lord, you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. 
Remember, even when the apostles, when God finally had to wake them up and say, hey, remember, go to the Gentiles. They waited like six years before they finally did that. Even though Jesus had told them to do it, they didn't comprehend it yet. And right here, Simon already comprehends he's a light for revelation for the Gentiles. That's us. We're the Gentiles. He's a light for us. And so it says, and his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. They're probably marveling at all of it because they're living in the greatest miracle. They're living in something radical. And yet this revelation that he's going to be a light of revelation for the Gentiles even. Oftentimes they thought of the Gentiles as, as dirty and unclean and we can't go near them. Remember, Peter had to be rebuked by Paul because later on in his ministry, he stopped fellowshipping and having dinner with them. And Paul came along and said, how dare you? They are not unclean. And he had to be rebuked about it. And so here they are. And it says, your child's going to bring a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Next. And Simon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul. He's, he's going to be responsible for the rise and fall of many. We often talk about the peace on Christmas, the peace that he brought. And it's true for those who believe he brought peace. But for those who don't, he brings a sword. One day he brings a sword, and also for families, he brings a sword of division, as Jesus said. I've come to bring a sword because it brings division sometimes. And so he says he'll pierce the heart of many, and he said he'll pierce into your soul as well, Mary, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Something about knowing that our God came into earth. It reveals our hearts. It humbles us. All of this, the Christmas message, it humbles us. We are humbly before God saying, we're man and you are God. You created all things. You're the uncreated one. You stepped into creation to save us. We can't comprehend it, but we're eternally grateful for it. It is a miracle and he came to reveal our hearts to us so that we cry out and say, we need a Savior. We need a Savior. And what a miracle that he did. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for Christmas. Whether or not it was this day or not, we don't really care. Uh, we just know that we're celebrating today that you were born, that you came into creation, and we're so grateful. We're so overjoyed. God, as we spend time with family, God, and God, you know, teach us as parents, God, to, to demonstrate to our kids the beauty of Christmas and what it's all about, even in the midst of letting them open gifts and we smile and beam over it and it's, it's beautiful and wonderful, but God, may even now they comprehend that all of it is just pointing to the greatest gift that's ever been given, you in the flesh coming to die for us. Thank you for it. Amen. Merry Christmas.